Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you're listening to The Makers of Minnesota, where we're talking to cool people doing cool things. And today, it's a little more somber than cool, maybe, um, but it is cool the way I think that this business evolved, and it is fruitfulfertility.org. It is a nonprofit. No, it is. Okay. It's a profit. <laughs> I talk about it like it's an organization. I mean, it's a private company. It's not a nonprofit. Okay. So, so we're going to Maybe start back. over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you are listening to The Makers of Minnesota, where we talk to cool people doing cool things. And today we are talking to fruitfulfertility.org. And this is an organization that sprung up from our maker today, Elise Ash. And Elise, what was it about your personal fertility journey or not, I'm not even sure, that made it that you decided to start this company? Yeah, great question. Thanks, Stephanie, and thanks so much for having Absolutely. me today. Um, so I talk about myself like an accidental entrepreneur. My background is really in marketing and advertising and copywriting. Okay. So I've worked in the ad industry in Minneapolis for the last 12 years, worked on really big brands, worked on really small startups, and really helped companies discover their voice and tone, sometimes naming them, sometimes working on commercials or radio sure. spots or stuff like I that. I wonder if you know my friend Linda. Karate? Yes. <laughs> yes, she's amazing. I love her. She is my very dear friend. Yes, she's great. Yeah. She's helped produce a lot of radio spots for me. Um, and just the people in this town in the advertising community are it's all great. awesome. I was actually president of AdFed. Yes. And vice president and on all these boards of AdFed for a long time. I haven't done it for a while, but... It was crazy. The advertising community in this town is fantastic. It's unexpected for people who either aren't in that world at all, at all or for people who don't know much about the Twin Cities. They're yeah. always really surprised that there's some type of digital marketing advertising scene here, but it's really awesome. And, and robust. Robust, full of really smart people who have a million side hustles and side gigs and are yep. all in bands or artists. or It's so Podcasters. cool. Podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> I know. There's a lot. I feel like in general... Ad industry people are creatives and they usually have a lot of different things going on, which yeah. is awesome. Which leads me to you. So you're in the advertising business and how did you decide that fertility was where you were going to land personally for your side hustle? So my husband and I decided that we were ready to start trying to have kids. We had been together about five or six years and had been mar married for about two or three years and decided, okay, it's time. We're early 30s. Uh, we've traveled a lot. We've gone all the Twins games. We have a really awesome dynamic life. Now let's really start adding to our family. And I think we were both just really surprised at how tough that journey was going to be for us and also surprised as we went through that experience of getting a diagnosis, going to fertility doctors, going through IVF, like as things got more intense, we noticed that this greater gap between ourselves and our support system was kind of widening. Sure. So our friends who hadn't necessarily struggled to get pregnant, who were having babies, having second babies, having third babies, they didn't really know what to say to us at parties. They didn't know how to support us. I think that they were really on edge with us, specifically me, because I was really oversensitive to what people were saying. I felt very alone and sort of in my own corner trying to figure out my own stuff and that people didn't really understand what I was going through. So my husband and I 
going through IVF, going through all this stuff. And I just was like, wow, the only people who really understand what it feels like to go through this are other people who've been through it. So that was sort of my aha moment. And I think that idea expands beyond infertility. So essentially any trauma, if you're someone who's dealt with disordered eating, if you're someone who's lost a spouse or a partner, I think it's really hard for our friends and family to understand these specific traumas. And it can feel incredibly isolating when you feel like you're the only person going through this, even though you're not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a breast cancer survivor and there is um, a lot of information about it and there is now more peer-to-peer mentoring, but people still will call me or they'll find me on Instagram and be like, oh my gosh, I was just diagnosed. Didn't you have this? And everyone's first is like, oh, you must have had breast cancer in your family or like everyone's trying to find their own little thread of reasoning about why this is happening to you. And sometimes it's just happening to you and it's horrible and it's scary and you're alone. And obviously infertility is different than breast cancer, but I think there are a lot of similarities in the stage you're in, the type of diagnosis you have, the type of treatment you have, the way you see the the world. Also, like, are you religious? Do you believe everything happens for a reason? Are you handling this with a lot of hope and prayer? Or are you someone who's like, F the world, don't talk to me, like, this is all unfair, I'm going to lash out? Or are you someone who... Is like, I'm going to pray on it. I mean, there are so many different types of people and so many different ways of coping with trauma. And I think that's one of the things that we try to do with Fruitful is connect people who have similar diagnoses, are similar ages, have similar life outlooks. So you can connect with someone who has a pretty similar story to yours. So FruitfulFertility.org is a mentoring and peer-to-peer Uh, fertility support network. Exactly. Yep. And so I had this idea and my husband, who is a developer and computer programmer, so similar industry to me, but a little different. We'd met at work a really long time ago um, before I was kind of in advertising specifically. It was more like a marketing gig. Mm -hmm. And so we've always worked well together. And this was really something that when I thought of it, he really encouraged me to pursue. He was like, this is absolutely something we could build. I think a lot of people would benefit. And I was probably a little more skittish around actually starting it. I loved the idea, but it was one of those like, oh, someone should do that. Not me. And were you <laughs> Somebody else should someone, do this. Were you thinking someone should do this right in the middle of your journey in the beginning or at the end? And we, have you have you had a child? We were really in the middle of our journey when I had the idea. So I think we'd maybe gone through one round of IVF when I'd had the idea. And I thought, gosh, it would be awesome to talk to somebody who'd been through it but was no longer actively going through it, who right. had a couple years of time to process what had happened but could really empathize. But they could offer me the perspective that I really lacked, like in the middle of that moment, I was in crisis. Yep. And it was easy for me to find people to talk to in support groups or through Facebook groups or whatever who were also in crisis But what I needed was somebody who could help pull me out without trying to talk me out of my feelings. So somebody who really knew the specific shade of pain and grief and anxiety I was having, but also wasn't trying to compete with me or um, have some other type of relationship where I needed to support them. It was kind of this one way. I think about it a little bit like Alcoholics Anonymous, where people come into the program trying to get sober, and they partner with somebody who's a little bit further along in their journey and can help kind of escort them through these steps in this process. And you wouldn't necessarily pair two people trying to get sober together. Everyone's trying to sort through their own stuff. Can you help me understand what you mean by compete with me? Because I think I know. Yeah, so this is something that 
is specific to my personality, and I've met a lot of people who don't feel this way, so I just want to caveat it that way. I am not a very evolved person. I am a very competitive person. And so in these Facebook groups or even in support groups, I was constantly finding myself measuring my story and my results against somebody else's. So if I was starting an IVF cycle the same time as somebody else, then all of a sudden it's, okay, how many eggs were retrieved on your cycle? How many embryos do you have? How do your embryos look? What grade are they? There's a lot of like grading and numbers, which triggers all of my competitive. Like I have to win at infertility. Like I have to beat all these people. But I think a lot of people don't feel that way. I do. So I can totally see that. Or even compete. Like sometimes I feel like breast cancer competition in stories. Like, well, how many radiations did you had? I had 36. Well, how many chemotherapies? did you have well did you have a double mastectomy or did you just have a lump but like it's crazy but there's almost like oh you have a better badge the more trauma you had I actually felt that a lot when we were getting ready to launch fruitful where I felt like we'd gone through two rounds of IVF and I felt like oh my gosh am I even the one who should be telling the story I've never had a miscarriage we didn't have um, any like egg quality issues or sperm issues like I have heard so many stories that have gone for longer, have been sadder, have had more loss, have had more trauma, have had more, like, it just feels so measly compared to some of these stories, but it doesn't mean that it isn't still traumatic for you. Sure. Now, how does the brass tax of it work? So the way it works is people can sign up uh, through fruitfulfertility.org. It's a two-sided platform. So people sign up either to get emotional support, someone who's dealing with a miscarriage or is getting ready to go through IVF, who maybe was just diagnosed with PCOS or, or endometriosis, or maybe their partner has some sperm issues. Um, they're usually a little bit earlier in their journey, so maybe trying one year to three years, something like that. And they're really still learning how to just exist in the world going through this. So they're learning how to not hate the random woman at the bus stop with the bump. They're learning how to function at these baby showers where people are like, when are you going to have kids? Like they're learning how to live in this world and process this grief of not having the life that they always thought they were going to have. So they're at a very vulnerable part in their life right now. And a lot of people don't get it. And I think those people find us pretty organically. They're usually like, very Google savvy and mm-hmm. finding us online or there's a really big um, trying to conceive community on Instagram sure. unexpectedly. So yeah. if you use the hashtag TTC, which stands for trying to conceive, there are so many different accounts and anonymous accounts that people create to document every single step of the journey to recap what their doctor said in their appointments to talk about their follicle scans during IVF. Um, It's a whole underground world. And I think people find us through social media channels as well. So those are the mentees. And then we also have to have mentors too. So people who have gone through infertility, but are now, we call it on the other side of that experience. So that's hard to find those people. You know, it's not hard in that people really want to do it. I think it's hard in that people who've struggled with infertility, a lot of them are now parents. And so they have a harder time hearing about us. So they're not Googling like what to do in my free time to give back to the infertility (laughs) community. Like, so that's why press is really awesome for us because all of a sudden these mostly now parents are like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And usually I hear one of two stories with mentors. They either say, oh my gosh, I would never have been able to make it through IVF or infertility or adoption, whatever that pathway was, without my cousin, big sister, person I met through church, whatever it is, who kind of served as that unofficial mentor. Or they say, 
wow, I didn't know anyone when I was going through it and it was so lonely and I wish this had existed. So those are usually the two things I hear. People love to give back to this community. I think there's a bit of survivor's guilt. I think people learn a lot through the experience and they wish they could like go back and tell younger them a lot of different things. And this is really their opportunity to do that. When you say survivor's guilt, what do you mean by that? I mean that you could go through 10 rounds of IVF. You could go through so much stuff and still not have a baby or a child. And I think people in this community who do end up being parents, whether that's through getting pregnant, having a surrogate, adoption, foster to adopt, whatever that looks like, I think it's not lost on them that things could have ended very differently and that other people in the community, especially people who might not have the financial resources to pursue a lot of those options, like... That is a huge privilege, being able to even afford IVF. A round of IVF can cost anywhere from 10000 to $20,000. And only 17 states in the U.S. mandate insurance coverage for infertility, even to a certain extent. So a lot of this is out of pocket. So if you're someone who doesn't have the money to pursue that, you might not have a lot of options. And I think this idea of gratitude is something that permeates throughout parents who conceive after trying so hard. And then I've also heard... Like, so you want really hard to have this baby and then you, in a lot of cases, end up having a baby and then some people feel really guilty that they don't love the baby more or that they're not more bonded to the baby or there's all this pressure about how hard you work to get the baby. And of course you love your kids and all of that, but a lot of moms struggle in that postpartum phase in particular with like why don't I feel over the moon about you 24-7 when I worked so hard to have you? Absolutely. And I don't know the exact um, research behind this, but I do know that there are correlations that show that women who struggle with infertility and miscarriage often do have higher rates of postpartum depression and postpartum mm-hmm. anxiety. So I don't know those specific numbers, but I know that is a reason why a lot of the time is you feel like you should be more grateful or like why aren't you feeling this specific way and you wanted this and you worked so hard and with so many years and so much money and da, 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 and like why can't you just and that's the phrase that I think is so tough for a lot of us uh, specifically in the community but I think everyone in this culture right now has this like why can't I just be happy for my best friend who told me she's pregnant why am I such a crappy friend why am I a bad person why can't I just be happy that this other person got pregnant and it's not like there's a certain amount of pregnancies in the world and if someone else has success I won't have success but I do think there is this we're so hard on ourselves Mm -hmm. and our internal monologues are so dark sometimes and that's why I think it's so important to have some other people in your life who can help be that light and levity and help pull you out of that dark place I think it's hard too to talk to partners sometimes about that because you're in a different place than they are at even when you have a baby or you are pregnant for me personally I felt like my husband didn't really understand the magnitude of what was happening to us until literally that baby came out of me and someone handed it to him and his face was like oh like (laughs) oh my gosh that was the moment it really became real for him because before that it was just his kind of crabby wife getting bigger by the minute and just complaining and eating a lot of food and then having to birth this thing and then it was like his life dramatically changed after that it's I think hard to understand what is happening to your wife the having your own set of feelings having your own set of feelings about your partner that I think is something that doesn't get talked about either totally and I think especially in these like heterosexual couples where you have the woman who oftentimes is the one 
feeling isolated, feeling like it's her fault, blaming her body, mm-hmm. even though it might not be. You know, I think in one third of infertility cases, it's quote unquote, you know, a woman's body issue where it could be a uterus thing or an egg thing or an ovulation thing. In one third of cases, it's male factor. So it is about sperm quality, the size of the shape of the sperm, the the type of movement it has. And in one third, it's either unexplained or both. So I think a lot of people are like, oh, it's a woman's issue, but not all the time. It's pretty much 30% chance that it's a woman's problem. Um, but is and, your service for both men and women? It is, yeah. We do have more women on the platform just by nature. I think women are more likely to raise their hand and say, I need a little bit of help. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we are open to both men and women. And I think oftentimes I, my heart goes out to these guys who feel like maybe they have to be super strong for their partner and there's no no space for their feelings or there's no space or time for them to process the loss or what's going on with them. So I think in a lot of cases it can be almost lonelier for these male partners who are trying to support their wives. They might not necessarily understand or they might understand and they might not know what to do. I think a lot of times men are also trying to be fixers and that can be really frustrating for their female partners who are like, can you just listen to me and stop trying to give me tips and tricks and like hack this. Can we just be sad and sit on the couch and not have an answer? So I think that's something that I hear a lot from men. And I think men need to reach out and find support for themselves too. And that they would be surprised if they started talking to some of their buddies. A lot of their buddies went through this too. It's just not something that a lot of people talk about openly. But when you like so many things that we're vulnerable, vulnerable about when we start talking about it, other people start talking too. So here is this need that you're filling and how do you monetize it or are you monetizing it and how does that work? Yeah. So in the very beginning, we wanted to just launch the program and see if this was something that people liked. I think a lot of times with these ideas, you think, okay, I would have liked this, but is this like a me thing or is this something Mm -hmm. that a lot of people would find value in? So the first couple years were really like, let's figure out if this is a program that people would want to do. And kind of going back to your earlier question, my husband and I were still in the process of trying to get pregnant. We, so we had done one round of IVF and we hadn't had any embryos to transfer. We decided with a heavy heart, okay, let's just do one more round. We did one more round of IVF and we got three embryos that we were really excited about. We had to take a little bit of time off because I was having another medical issue that we had to get figured out and then about six months after that second IVF cycle we did a frozen embryo transfer with one of our three embryos and that embryo took and is now our 18 month old daughter which is awesome but during all of this we were still launching fruitful and didn't really know um how to manage both of those and my job full-time so I had a full-time job we were running fruitful in our free time which was fun before we got pregnant and had the baby and then all of a sudden there's like breastfeeding and yes running around in daycare and all these other responsibilities so good problem to have but also I was feeling a little like okay this is not a sustainable lifestyle yeah. <laughs> like having a full-time job in digital marketing and in advertising which is a very client demanding job which isn't always nine to five plus a new baby a new baby breastfeeding like figuring all that out not sleeping like the whole breastfeeding by the way is way harder than people think <laughs> i cannot even communicate how 
much work it was to even figure out like, okay, when am I going to pump? Where am I going to store my milk? Yes. Oh my God. I have a client meeting across town. Am I going to do it in the car? Is that weird? What if my client walks out? Like 100%. Oh my gosh. It is so unreal how much time and energy and labor goes into breastfeeding. Thinking about breasts. It's like 90% of your life. It's crazy. Um, So anyway, so trying to manage that and then also trying to grow fruitful, which was getting a lot of great press. We were having people like loving the service and it was going really well, but it also wasn't making any money. And it was just kind of like a fun thing we did for fun. So then it kind of became, well, do we want to keep trying to grow fruitful and figure out how to make it a company or do we want to kind of put it down and focus on our careers and that kind of thing um, and the jobs that we already had? And I just felt very much not ready to let it go. I felt like this is an awesome service. We'd had about 3,000 users at that point, and I just wasn't ready to let it go. Mm -hmm. So I went part-time at work, and I started working three days a week. And then the two days a week, I'd work on Fruitful. And so now what we're doing is we're trying to figure out how to monetize it in a way that doesn't compromise the integrity of what we've built. So I left my full-time job at that marketing agency uh, in July, so the last couple months, I've been really focused on fruitful and trying to figure out, okay, how does this make money in a way that doesn't feel gross? So, because what I need to do is I need to grow my team. Right now, it's me and my husband, Brad. He's great, but he has a full-time job, so he's really grinding at night, and I'm you know, working during the day, and I really need more help and more brains and more perspective than what I can handle. So that's kind of where we are right now. We're in the middle of a friends and family round of fundraising, so trying to get a little bit of money to keep figuring out, okay, how does this make money? Are we charging users? Are we going to partner with fertility clinics? Do we want to work with brands and do this affiliate networking thing? Um, What feels like the best way to support this really vulnerable community who's giving us a lot of information about themselves? Mm -hmm. And how can we get them the support that they need while also growing a company? So that's my biggest question every day, pretty much. And I wonder if, like, also maybe it's grants or it's... totally. Um, and then the other thought I had is maybe it's scalable to other types of trauma. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Totally. So it's for breast cancer, mm-hmm. for prostate cancer, for, cause really so many people have these things happen in their lives and nobody really knows how to get through it. And I, you're just flailing. I think that is probably my biggest aha moment is I think I thought, okay, this is a really great tool for infertility. But the more you talk to people who aren't necessarily going through that specific trauma, but have had other traumas, you think, okay, this is, this model has been working since the beginning of time. There have been people forming these small groups, you know, whether they've gone through, um, disordered eating challenges, depression, anxiety, veterans, or PTSD. Mm -hmm. I think about, um, people who are dealing with the loss of a partner or a child, like these really big, heavy moments in our lives where we need somebody else who's been there. And I want that private connection where Facebook isn't going to be like knowing what I'm up to. They're not going to be like adding it to and my I data, whatever. And I want someone to comment totally on my thoughts about my misshapen boob, you know? Yeah. And I don't want like this weird Facebook group dynamic where there's like, 10 very active people in the group who all have their own weird whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like not great for mental health. I think sometimes it can be good, but gosh, it's a jungle out there and you have to be really vigilant about your own mental health to know when it's like a good time for you to step in and when you need to back off. It's interesting you bring that up because part of, so I'm nine years out as a breast cancer survivor and I was a pretty public person when the whole thing happened to me. So people really felt like they could reach out and I was very accessible to them And I struggled with something that I didn't realize was happening until 
like probably three years later, which was I had so much guilt that I was surviving Mm -hmm. and I was feeling like I needed to give to every organization financially, emotionally. I needed to be on every board and everybody asked me to support the breast cancer community and I did not feel like I could say no. And I became really feeling personally responsible for some women in my life that didn't have a big support system. I was feeling a little bit like I was kind of being sucked dry of all this energy that really I needed to get back on my feet. Mm -hmm. And I'm a giver. I want to help people. It's not in my nature to say no. Right. But it wasn't healthy always. And over time, I've gotten better about that. But it's taken a long time. And if I would have had a place to say, you know what, I'm not in a place to give you this kind of emotional support today, but here's a resource for you, or here's a group, or consider this, these were things that helped me. I could have had that 10 minute conversation, but I couldn't go out to lunch with everybody that wanted to really get that story. I think that's a huge and important point, and I think where we are in our lives can shift a lot. So something that might feel really good one day, writing that check, going to that gala to support that event, whatever that is, could feel really good one day, and the next year you might not have the space for that anymore. And I think it's really important for us to recognize like where we are in our own stories and where we are in our own mental health and be able to still tell people I love you. You are not alone. Here are some resources and tools. Like I have a whole email that I copy and paste to people Mm -hmm. when they reach out to me because similarly, I mean, nowhere near on the scale as you, but now that I've been open about the story, I have people saying, we're going through this. What do you think? And it just is a little bit too much to answer everybody. So you do have to kind of shortcut some of it and say, I can't be the one to take you to lunch, but I know someone who can, or here's what you can do instead, or here are the sources. And I think a lot of times when I talk to people who haven't been touched by infertility specifically, they know people who have Mm -hmm. and they say, how do I send this to my friend or how can I tell my friend about this? I feel uncomfortable. I don't know how. And I usually (laughs) tell them, say that you heard about me or say that, you know, we met somewhere and that I'm running this company called Fruitful Fertility. And if they're curious about it, they can explore it. But I think people also resent being told what to do. And so I think there is a little bit of push back if people are like you should sign up oh my god have you signed up did you sign up for that thing did you go to that support group like sometimes you need a push but then sometimes also I found in my experience people like to discover things on their own so if you casually bring it up or give them a couple options they'll maybe click around and explore and come to it when they're ready but you can't force someone into like a pathway or an experience that they're not ready for right right and I really I admire what you're doing because I think there's a huge need for it, but I also can really see the challenges too, because where do you go to get funding? Do you go to the healthcare industry? Probably not. They're not equipped to deal with emotional fallout after these things. They're just equipped to deal with the drugs and the process of going through it. And then is it peer to peer so that people that have gone through it can contribute so that they can help other people? I don't know. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're testing right now. Um, I think I was really against the idea of having users pay because I know how vulnerable you are in that moment and how the financing thing is just a really serious problem. And I felt a lot of emotions around making people pay. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I think 
when you do charge a fee for a service, people do have more skin in the game and take it seriously because yeah. that's one of our issues now is like people sign up and then they don't respond to their mentor or, you know, they sign up late at night and then the next day they're like, Oh, I have a vulnerability hangover. And like, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. Just kidding. Just kidding. Yep. So it'd be great to have more people sign up who are really committed to the program and are committed to making it work. So that's something I think charging mentees might help with, mm-hmm. um, which feels pretty good. I think you're right with the healthcare thing. It's just tricky because doctors also, they want to be the ones to be giving the information. And I think it makes them nervous to think of people getting information from other sources, which is happening naturally. I mean, no one can deny that people are sharing information on Facebook. They're texting each other. Like we all know, okay, my friend isn't a doctor, but they might be like, hey, did you ask? vitamins. Kind of. Or like, (laughs) ooh, what did you do when you're... You know, when you weren't ovulating, was there a specific supplement you liked? What's the difference between these ones? 100%. Oh, how did you know you were ovulating? So I think if doctors understand that those conversations are happening anyway, and if we can more, if we can better facilitate who are the people and train them how to answer a lot of these questions, even saying, this isn't medical advice, but here's what I did, or talking more about like my specific situation rather than, you should try this, you should go do that. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Like... How can we help train people to speak to that in a little bit more of an educated way rather than just like a bunch of random people on the internet saying like what works or what doesn't? Well, and mentor programs like this that I'm aware of, and I'm only aware of one other one, but I know there's more. There is a training that you go through to be a mentee. You're you're having to be very careful about how you mentor someone, mm-hmm. not giving them medical advice, talking about your personal experience. It, there is a way that you obviously go through that because you're dealing with vulnerable people in these communities. Totally. And you want to make sure also that the mentor is in a place where they can give back. That's why we, we really like when mentors are a couple years removed from their last child because it no longer is about them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they have a little bit more space to be able to support somebody else rather than processing their own story and their own trauma, which can take a little while. So that's why I really encourage people who are a year out of their last child to apply to be a mentor because I think they're the ones who have that time and that perspective necessary to really support somebody else rather than being like, well, me, well, my story, well, when I did it, which other people want to hear your story for sure. But I think what they really want is someone to listen and to ask them questions. And, you know, our mentors are not mental health experts. They're not therapists. They're not Mm -hmm. professionals. And it's not meant to replace therapy. It's more like another tool in your toolkit. So, Therapy is great. We absolutely recommend it for people who can afford it and find it and who, I mean, basically anyone who can get into therapy, we recommend go through that. But this is really meant to be more of like a big sister, that fun cousin, that auntie, like someone who can be a little bit more personable with you. And it's a little less formal of a process. The pain that you go through as a couple too, when trauma happens, whether it's losing someone or personal uh, health you know, you're so close to your partner and you spend a lot of time talking to your partner and going through, I found that like, there were just things that I couldn't say to my partner because it would hurt his feelings. You know, he, things that were happening to me that maybe he wasn't understanding all the way. And at the same time, he's caregiving me. So like, what a jerk that you're not giving him the space that he needs. Right. Or you're trying to manage how he's grieving because it is, it is all different. 
I feel like I was burning out my husband a little bit (laughs) with all the fertility talk and uh, it was good for me to kind of spread it out to a bunch of different yes. people. So there my wasn't... husband's famous line to me is, um, you need friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I have friends. He's like, no, like you need, these are things. I can't be the village. Like you need to get some more people in your village. And I love my husband and I think he's amazing, but there were some things I knew he would be just kind of placating me mm-hmm. on or, um, things that I knew he was saying to spare my feelings. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I needed the truth or I needed to play out a certain anxiety I was having. And I just needed someone who was going to be able to say, yeah, I also worried like my husband was going to leave me. Like if we couldn't have kids, what what would happen then? And I know he would be like, I would never do that. Or, you know, he's like a good guy. Yeah, totally. And it's a real thing. Totally. And you need somebody else to kind of walk you through. Okay. Why are you feeling that way? That's a normal feeling. Here are things you can do. Have you talked about this? Have you talked about that? Like, He was so great to talk to for so many things, but then there were kind of five or 10% of what I was thinking that I didn't want to burden him with. No. And you don't want to say necessarily, like you've had a double mastectomy in my case, and I'm looking in the mirror and of course my husband's going to be like, oh, it's great. It's fine. But at the end of the day, like I can't feel anything pretty much from my neck down to my waist. So Mm -hmm. there's that. Yep. But let's have sex. (laughs) I know. It's just, it's so... It impacts so many parts of your life. Totally. The intimacy thing is huge, too, because I think I think a lot of people, when they find out that you're trying, they're like, oh, that must be fun. Or, like, they make jokes about, like, how often you're trying. You're like, you don't understand that At scheduled sex. he has to be here because my temperature has increased. That scheduled sex is incredibly stressful for both of you. And it's not fun. It's not hot. It's not cool to, like, cry during sex. I feel like it took us a long time to undo a lot of the trauma that that experience had given us yeah and first and to be able to like enjoy sex. yeah like yes. just enjoy it again and not have to worry about like what day it is what time it is take my temperature every morning like oh my gosh I have to sit with my legs up like all this stuff that just piles and on and on that oh you my have God. to take and you know you're dealing with fertility hormones yeah it, it doesn't make you super easy to be around <laughs> same it's I keep bringing it back to breast cancer, but every time you sit down in a, in a chemotherapy chair, you're getting steroids and you're getting hormone treatments. And I'm basically taking drugs that make me into a man essentially. So breast cancer and infertility, obviously not the same thing, but there is a study that's been done that show that women who are undergoing breast cancer treatment and infertility treatment have similar levels of stress. Oh, that's interesting. So I think for totally different reasons, sure. but I think the hormones and the drugs absolutely have something to do with that. For yeah. Sure. Cause you're crazy and you know, you're crazy, but you can't stop it. And it's like an incredibly high stakes medical experience that is completely out of your control. And when you're somebody like me who type like, A, yeah, <laughs> come, type on. A. <laughs> come on, spermie, let's like, go totally. Like, how can we fix it? How can we manage it? How can we train it? What can I eat? What can I learn? How can I do this? Like trying to schedule and manage this experience that is a hundred percent up to like the universe and whatever you and believe your body's in. failing you. Mm-hmm. It isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. And why isn't it doing it? Did you eat the wrong thing? Did you think the wrong thing? Is it cause you didn't get enough sleep or did I wait too long? Am cigarettes? I, am I too old? Yes. Am I, did I wait too long to and find my partner? Your one chance. <laughs> totally. I mean, those are really real anxieties. And I think that's kind of bleeding in a little bit to, my generation, especially and people who have been told and scared. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I hear it a lot, especially now that egg freezing is becoming more popular with 
women in their late 20s and early 30s who know that they want to have kids but might not have a partner they're serious about yet or might not really want to even like consider having kids yet they want to travel they want to work on their career they want to do all these other things but they're stressed I don't want to wait too long and then regret it well and we hear about men a lot of times having you know like Hugh Hefner having a baby when he was 80 and a lot that of is these, rare though yes but these male we hear about like these celebrities who oh. you know they are men or even women in their later years that are having babies and it's like oh you just get the sense of like well there's time there's plenty of time yeah you know I'm, medically your body is I they when I was 28 years old is when I had my baby and I was considered an old mom yeah at 28 it's crazy I mean it's it's a really cool time that we're living in because we do have the option of prolonging our fertility if we want to or if we have the means of course but that is something brand new to our society where it used to be like, okay, you're 23 and you're getting married and now you're having yep. four babies and maybe you didn't even want four babies, but too bad for you. And now all of a sudden we have all this autonomy and, and choice. And I think that's the other thing too, is the expectation growing up, especially, you know, for me was don't even look at a boy or you're going to get pregnant. Pregnancy is so easy. Don't even, don't sit on a mm-hmm. toilet seat. Don't go in a hot tub. Don't do any of these things because you will get pregnant and then your life will be over. Like that was the message we got basically from age 12 to like hundred percent 30 pretty much. And so I think there's also this huge um, thing that you go through mentally where you're like, God, this is supposed to be so easy. Like teenagers can get pregnant. Frogs can get pregnant. Like, why is this so hard for me? Why do I suck at it? Am I doing sex wrong? Like yeah. you're just really confused. And with all that said, if there's people that are listening to this program that want to help you, like what kind of immediate things are you looking for right now? Me personally, like as a... And the business. Okay. Um, I think something that you could do is if you're someone who this is resonating with and you have a similar story, you can sign up to become a mentor. You can post about it in a Facebook group if you're part of a mom's group or some kind of parenting group. Or if you're someone obviously struggling with infertility, you can sign up. Um, If you're curious to learn more, you can contact me through our website if you are interested in investing money or if you have some contacts within the medical industry. I know there are a lot of big players here in Minneapolis and St. Paul. So if you know some of those people, I would like, what would that kind of person look like? Like somebody fertility.org. Yeah. So somebody who is maybe like a C-suite executive at Optum or United or someone Mm -hmm. who might have a little bit more insight into the insurance and payer side and how that might work. I think about that a lot as a cool opportunity where if we're providing emotional support and we can somehow prove that people who feel supported during infertility treatments have better outcomes or go through fewer rounds of IVF, all of a sudden, I think that would be really interesting for a larger company. Yeah, like you, a lot of companies now have like a wellness program or they have like you get five counseling sessions if you're struggling with something. Maybe this could be like another offering. That's a cool way to monetize it. Exactly that. So in the same way that a lot of companies offer a discount for a gym, because mm-hmm. if you maintain your BMI or you maintain your weight, you're less likely to have a lot of health related issues. Like, And so it's going to save all these companies money later. It's like a similar idea as that. So yeah, yeah, I'm curious about what that would look like or any kind of studies around that. So I'm also partnering a lot with some local universities for interns, which is exciting. So if any of this story excites you or touches you personally or you want to get involved or you have some kind of idea, I'd encourage you to just contact me through our, I think we have a form on the website, so fruitfulfertility.org, and you can send me a message and I'd love to connect with you. 
It is Elise Ash, and it is fruitfulfertility.org. Thank you for being a guest. Thanks so much, Stephanie. I appreciate it.